Welcome to Sword and Shield, the official podcast of the 960th Cyberspace Wing. Join us for insight, knowledge, mentorship, and some fun as we discuss relevant topics in and around our wing. Please understand that the views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily the views of the U.S. Air Force nor the Air Force Reserve, and no endorsement of any particular person or business is ever intended. Welcome to the Sword and Shield podcast. I'm Colonel Rick Erridge, 960th Cyberspace Wing Commander, and today we have a very special guest. We're really excited to have the 21st Chief of Staff of the Air Force, General David L. Goldfein. Sir, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Rick. Thanks. Thanks for having me, and a uh, big shout out to all your great troops. Yeah, thanks. Really appreciate it. Um, we've had some uh, some interactions in the past, and it's good to see you again, and and um, really happy to have you part of the team and to share um, to share your thoughts with us as you've reflected, you know, post military career, and then uh, uh, of course you're a very busy guy right now um, in continuous engagement. So, um, what are you up to these days? And and I, I know this is going to happen after we publish the recording, but uh, congratulations on on getting um, the order of the sword here this week in San Antonio. So that's a huge honor. We're really excited. For you to have that yeah i'll tell you that's the that's the greatest honor that will ever be bestowed and um i'm very humbled by it uh so since i retired i'll tell you that you know across the air force part of our culture and many of you know many different organizations you know we get call signs or nicknames i got a new one when i retired i go now by jd and that stands for just date i don't <laughs> I don't go by general. I don't go by chief. I just go by just Dave. It fits pretty nicely, unless you're my grandchildren. And then, of course, I go by Papa. But it's been uh, it's been a great transition, actually. And I'm, this chapter for me is about solving big problems with people I really like. And so far, the portfolio I've put together is all involved in doing those kinds of things. So it's pretty exciting. Yeah, that's excellent. And um, I, I know we've been trying to plan this for a while, so I really appreciate your, your persistence and scheduling and, and hanging with us as my schedule has been a little bit crazy these days as well. And so I know when you were um, rotating out, you know, the, the world's much different now than, than it was um, at the retirement ceremony. I remember watching it online and thinking, man, I wonder what the next Chiefs going to have to deal with as far as, as crisis and what's that going to look like. And little did we know that we are right into some things that we have never experienced before in our Air Force. So any any thoughts as you kind of think about um, as that transition happened for you and, and as the next chief took over? You know, I think the only real legacy we leave behind as leaders, this will be the same for you, Rick, as wing commander. The only real legacy that you leave behind are the folks that you raised to replace you. It's the investment you make in talent. It's the recognition of people who've got what it takes to step into your shoes. And so I will tell you that I'll start off by saying I couldn't be prouder of General Brown and the current team that's in place and, and how they've been handling themselves uh, in helping to lead as part of the joint team. Between Russian activity in Ukraine, activity in the South China Sea, uh, difficult times in our country in terms of the divisiveness that we're seeing. Uh, these are all really, really uh, huge challenges 
but not one is above the capability and capacity of the current team that's in place. So I'm 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 Chief Brown's loudest cheerleader. Yeah, that's excellent. Uh, I appreciate that too. So as um, as I was reflecting yesterday, coming to the end of my tour um, at at some point, I don't know when that is, but um, thinking about the most important role I have as a wing commander, and that is just what you said to make sure people are ready to replace me and, and every leader is, is grooming and developing the next person to take their job. I think that's what makes us great. Even as reservists, we have opportunities to um, build this team and bring in airmen with the, you know, they're bringing civilian experiences into the business, um, grow them, take a different direction. We're really thin. Uh, a lot of the people are doing one-offs the only person to do their job. And so I'm really proud of the team we have and, and how we, um, go about our business and making sure that the next generation is ready to go. And as you think about that next generation and, and where you are, um, I'm interested to know, looking back at second Lieutenant Goldfein, what kind of thoughts, if you had a chance to go back and talk to yourself as second Lieutenant graduating the Air Force Academy, what would you tell yourself and, and, or, and what kind of thoughts would you give yourself? You know, I think, uh, I had a great experience as a as chief. I, I went out to Lackland and was sitting with some young basics before they even became airmen. And this young woman was sitting across the table from me and she's looking at my stars, you know, on my OCPs. And she says, you know, hey, sir, I got a question. She said, uh, how do I get some of those? <laughs> and I said, I well, I'll ask that question. I said, well, you know, having, you know, being selected from literally hundreds of your fellow basics to sit and have lunch with the chief is probably not a bad start because it indicates that I know how this works. You know, you weren't randomly selected. I'm sure you were selected <laughs> because you're doing really well here. And so my first you know, uh, piece of advice to you, if you're looking for, you know, to rise to senior leadership is be really good at whatever we ask you to do. Be the very best at whatever it is that task you're given, because that initial reputation will carry you for, you know, throughout your career. And, you know, as I've talked to, you know, groups and senior officers as well, I think there's a maturity process we all go through that shifts from what I call, you know, postcard to greeting card. So most of us, when I, at least when I was young, the second lieutenant, you know, all the way through really probably about major lieutenant colonel, I looked at the world through a postcard, right, which is it was time for an assignment. I grabbed the postcard, I looked at the scene, had palm trees, beach, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, folks having a good time. And I looked at that scene and the question I asked was, does that look good on me? And that's how I think most of us look at our careers in the early stages, right? Is, 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 is that scene a good fit for me? And I think you get to a point in your career, perhaps at the point, perhaps about the squadron commander time, where at least for me, I shifted my thinking from postcard to greeting card, right? There was no picture on the greeting card, it was just the same. And you open it up and the card said, um, what can you contribute to this scene? It's a big 
big difference in the question. No longer what looks good on me, but how do I contribute to this scene, regardless of what it looks like? Because in that scene are people that require inspirational leaders who can inspire them to do more together than they can ever do individually. They can become part of a team that can have great culture. And once you actually mature from postcard to a greeting card, then any scene looks equally great. And you're no longer so worried about this one particular path because this career and this life is a journey. It's actually not a destination. And there is no one path to the top. You can't go look at, you can go look at all the 22 chiefs. You can look at the chief mass sergeants of the Air Force. There's not one career that looks close. Uh, so if you look at it as a journey and you can make that shift earlier than I did perhaps, from postcard to greeting card, it's going to be a it's going to be a very rewarding a journey along the way. Yeah, I know when I when I took squadron command over, I was very focused tactically, and and I knew I had a hard time going from um, thinking tactically to thinking strategically. And I was a reservist, I was a full time reservist, and then a part time reservist, and then back to full time, and a lot of stuff going on in my life. And um, I found myself ill equipped when I went to SDE in residence and I didn't want to go in residence. I already had my Royal college by correspondence done, but I knew I needed it. Like I needed that. I needed that. I don't want to call it re-bluing, but I, I needed that move from tactical to strategic. And it was an amazing experience. And as reservists, sometimes with all their busy lives, it's hard to get people to make that commitment just because whether it's a money thing or whether it's family, um, uh, any advice you have for people looking for those development opportunities when, when they know they need it, or maybe even more important, how do they know when they need it? Uh, maybe they don't see it. And then what we can do to help push them, uh, certainly if we see potential in them, you know, to be a leader at whether that's squadron, group, wing, staff, wherever they are. Uh, any thoughts on how you approach when you, when you kind of see somebody and you want to push them? You know, back in our probably in our parents' day, you could graduate from college and ride a bachelor's degree for a 30-year career in some company. And you could rise in an organization and sort of, it was sort of the entry, you know, into a career. I don't think that that's true anymore. I think that today, you know, a bachelor's degree is actually the launching point for a life of continuous learning and continuous growth. And when I would interview officers and NCOs for key leadership positions, the more senior position I was looking at, the more important to me was the potential for future growth as opposed to what they had done previously to qualify them for the position. And especially at the senior leaders, you know, one of the things I really looked hard to try to find out was, does this person feel like they've arrived? Have they planted a flag on a mountaintop and they, they know what they need to know? They're, they know what, how they do business. They know themselves. And the problem with that, that approach is, if it's, seen, if it's a senior position, guess what? Uh, everything we put on their desk is going to be hard. And if we put something on their desk that's really easy, quite frankly, they're doing somebody else's job. 
right? Yeah, you're yeah, as a wing great. commander, Rick, right? There's not much that hits your desk that's easy. That's and if sure. and if and if it is, you know, quite frankly, somebody's wasting your time and you're doing something, you know, it's the old do delegate delete, right? <laughs> yes, do, do do only what you can do, delegate everything else, and then the third piece, select all delete is just good for the soul. <laughs> right. And and so, you know, if if one wants to remain competitive in the reserves, the Air Force, the military, you name it, then there has to be a commitment to lifelong learning and growth. I grew it a lot in four years as chief. You know, I mean, I, 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 I completely flipped my position on the Space Force. Started off, you know, quite resistant because I was really concerned about the joint and operational integration we'd achieved with space, that we would lose that as we separated space into a separate service. But then I listened, I learned, I read, I spoke, I, I, I did my own individual research and quite frankly, my own individual growth to come to the conclusion that the president got it exactly right. And then got full-throated behind it you know, for the remainder of my time uh, as chief to help set it up for success. So, so I would just say to everyone, you know, be wary of feeling like you've arrived. If you are entering a new position and you're, you're a little bit, a little bit, uh, I don't know if scared is the right word, but you know what I'm talking about, right? There's a little bit of yes, fear sir. there. If you're a little bit uncertain, if you're wondering whether you're up for the challenge, if you have all of those uncertainties as you grab the, the guide on, guess what? You're in great company and you probably got it about right. If you're standing there completely confident that you've got this completely wired and you know everything there is to know about the organization you're about to take responsibility for, danger, Will Robinson. Uh, there's, there, you're you're, you're, you're going to have, uh, there's a lot of things you're around you that are happening that you're just not going to see. Because your blinders are uh, are are right there. Well, that's great because I've felt that in just about every key job I've had has felt unprepared and really anxious and um, concerned about my ability to perform and and compete and do the right things. And so it's it's great to hear that uh, other people have that same way. We got to find a way to talk about that with the leaders to say that's okay to feel that way, and and then you know, that opens you up for that growth that you talked about. And so, um, well, I know, well, you know, you can tell, you can share with your folks that, uh, if they're throwing that they're in great company, the former chief felt like that. Yes, sir. I'm using it. I'm going to quote it. <laughs> Next commander's call. Um, and, and so going into this job, you know, I felt that that week we spent with you and the rest of the, the staff directorates and everybody getting us ready for wing command. I'd been the, I was the vice at the time. So I'd been the vice for uh, about six months at the time. And it just kind of at six month point was just kind of getting comfortable with the organization. And of course, as I rolled in um, in August of that year and then took command, I was like, wow, I thought I knew what my boss was doing, but I, <laughs> and again, I felt ill-equipped and unprepared. So um, were, there, were there any things when you took uh, wing command um, that you took away from that experience that that helped you grow in the chief or just lessons that 
um, specifically to share if, if people want to be a wing commander someday to make sure that they're kind of ready to pursue that. You know, wing commander is that is it this in some ways it's the first level of command where you're putting you're put in charge of things you have no idea, yes, have, have no background in, right? Um, you know, for me, for example, I was operational fighter pilot. Operations group command was actually not that different than squadron command. It was just a little bit larger of what I already done. Wing command, now when I'm responsible for installation, roads and grounds and, you know, water treatment facility, that, yeah. that's something I just never grew up understanding, right? Yes, sir. So it becomes all about gifts and gaps. What are your gifts? What are the things that you know about? And most importantly, what are your gaps? What are things that you just don't know about at all? And you got to be comfortable enough in your own skin to be able to actually show a little bit of vulnerability as a leader to your folks and say, hey, listen, you know, I have no idea what goes into what you're doing. Can you teach me? Can you show me, you know, what's what's going on with this? And you have to realize, I think, that there are things going on in the organization that you just can't see because they weren't part of uh, your your background, right? So you and I uh, have very similar, probably in many ways, life experiences growing up. Every room we've ever went into has been full of people that look look just like you and me. Yes, sir. Right? White males. Uh, the vast majority of the organization are filled with people like us. The systems in place for pro competitive promotion were built by people like us for people like us. And so because you and I have never been the only woman in a room who has been scrutinized to a completely different level, who have had things said to us that others think may be funny, but are actually quite degrading. You and I have never been the only African-American in the room. You and I have no, never been the only, I could fill in the blank, right? That's not been our, you and I, Rick, that's not been our common life experience. And it doesn't mean that we're evil. It just means that we have blinders. There are things going on in the organization we just can't see. We'll never see them. They weren't part of our life experience. So it's important for us to understand our gaps. And our gaps are that we can't see these things unless we surround ourselves with people who can fill them in for us. And that goes to the teams that we select, the folks that we bring into our you know, inner circle, and who we rely on to help us make the best decisions. And if we, if we surround ourselves, especially at wing command, but at all levels of command, if we surround ourselves with people who have had the same life experiences, we're going to find ourselves at the bottom of the cliff, all arm in arm, singing Kumbaya, having no idea what just happened to us. Yes, sir. Uh, that's that's a great point. I I feel more comfortable now with, uh, I feel like our airmen, um, certainly it's not perfect and we need to continue to always do better, but um, routinely I have people when I have mentoring sessions bring things to me that they might not have been comfortable with talking about before. Um, and I just had one uh, a couple of days ago during our unit training assembly over the weekend, I was having a mentoring session with somebody that said, did you know? And I was like, oh my God, what I just said was, that's not what I said. I know that's not what you meant, but here's my experience. And I was like, wow. So even when I think I'm as open and, and, and really try to listen, I, I still have those opportunities to learn and grow. So, and I think as I've grown up, obviously 
uh, I, I grew up in Southern Minnesota where it's very much like me everywhere and didn't have any experiences. I went to college in Northern Minnesota the same way. And so I experienced some things from a perspective that people put labels on me as well that I didn't know that I even understood. And so I've tried to break those as I've grown and my leadership style has kind of morphed as I've grown. And I think I've, I've become more tolerant and open to those things. I used to get really frustrated. Um, I had some experiences in Alabama where some of my classmates, we couldn't go to lunch together at the same place. And this is 1994, you know, because they're African-American and they said they won't go to lunch at this place because of uh, is just unwelcoming to them. And I'm, as it blew my mind as a second lieutenant that this was happening even in 1994, 95. So I've taken those experiences in the wing command and, and tried to create a culture where people, though we can talk about that and that, that we're able to share and be more comfortable with confronting those things. And so I guess the next thought for you is as you've grown through your leadership positions, has your position or approach to leadership changed or have you always kind of been who you are and you've just become more self-aware of your leadership style or have you made some like, hey, some 90 degree turns and how you approach certain things as you grew up? Yeah, I think the core has probably always been there. You know, what, what I think we all try to aspire to be is inspirational servant leaders. That, uh, that understand and accept that leadership is a gift that's offered by those we're privileged to serve as leaders. And it's a gift that we have to earn and re-earn every day. And it's lost in a second of indiscretion. And, and if we understand that, then we can also, I think, understand that, that culturally as a service, we rally around our most, the, the, the most, essential element of command, which I've always believed and still believe this is squadron command. And it's the commander that sets the culture. When I was chief and I'd you know, bet, you know, do my circulation and I met airmen, I always had two questions. Question number one was, tell me your story. Because as my predecessor, Mark Walsh used to tell us, every airman has a story. So I used to love listening to, hey, tell me your story. What, what brought you in? And then somewhere in that description, they would almost always mention the unit they were in. And I would wait till that point and then follow up with my second question, which was, well, tell me what it means to be a bulldog or a jaguar or what carnivorous animal was their you know, <laughs> mascot. And it's an important question because I wasn't asking them, what do they do? What do they, how do they do it? What do they do it with? Be that, you know, cyber, flying, you know, you name it. I was asking them a deeper question, which is culture. What does it mean to be a bulldog? I know what we want to hear. We'd love to hear, you know, I'm part of something really special where I'm valued, both individually and as part of this team. And the people to my right and to my left are my brothers and sisters that I'd, that I'd take a bullet for, you know, if I had to. And together we're doing something so important but it's much bigger than anything I could do individually. And I'm proud to be a bulldog, right? That's certainly what you want to hear. Well, how do you get that answer? Because it's from the heart, right? I'm Absolutely. not asking them to recite something. It's, well, guess what? It's built by the commander and the senior NCO, the senior leadership team of that organization. And then you can hack the clock. Uh, it hasn't changed since 
the beginning became a service. Six weeks after a young commander takes the, the guide on, she imprints her, her personality on that unit and the culture is defined by her. And so what does it mean to be a bulldog? What does it mean to be part of your wing? That's an important question. And I think we spend every day trying to get the right answer by, by re-earning the gift of leadership from those we're privileged to serve. Yeah, that's awesome, sir. Um, I know I've heard other leaders to that approach, and, and clearly they probably learned that for you and, and other leaders before us. And so I always find it interesting uh, when we put an airman in front of a GO for a briefing, or we have a lot of intel folks, we do a lot of cyber intel stuff, and we, we put our youngest airmen who are in like five-level upgrade training in front of GOs, and, and at the end of it, they do they always do a wonderful job, and they're never prepared for the question of, tell me your story. They're more prepared for technical, tactical things. And so I see this transformation. And then we bring them in to mentor the next Intel airman that's going to brief. And what do they always tell them? Hey, at the end, you need to be ready to talk about what your story is and, and who you are and what it means to be in the wing and stuff. So that's naturally happened all the time. So I really appreciate you kind of pushing that. And so as we get to the end here, there's one thing that's been um, – really kind of burning at me. And I always ask this question. I asked uh, when, when General Hawk was here, as he was on his way out at 16th Air Force headed to Cybercom, I asked him some questions about um, that, he, that, he, that he couldn't answer, was unwilling. So I'll give you that alibi as well if you don't want to answer this question. But um, maybe generically, you can like, what do you think is the most important thing that you whispered in General Brown's ear um, as you were transitioning out and he was getting ready to take the flag? Yeah. I told him, Hey, I'm going to be your best. I'm going to be the best predecessor you've ever had <laughs> because I had a great predecessor and there's a way that you transition an organization that re again, it's that postcard versus greeting card, right? It's about the institution. I needed to create an environment six months out when, when we now knew that he was going to be my successor we needed to create an environment where people could get excited about the new chief in my presence because I was excited about the new chief. And that, that you know, six months out, I essentially uh, stopped hiring new members of his team without talking to him. Got to be very careful because, you know, before, you know, in our, in our system, rightfully so, before you're confirmed by the United States Senate, you cannot take any action. But it doesn't say that you cannot prepare. And so my job was to help prepare him uh, for the position. And look at his background. You know, here's a guy who was the CFAC, was the work in UCOM, was the deputy commander for Central Command, was the PACAF commander. There is no one in the United States military, let alone the Air Force, that has more operational combat experience in every uh, AOR across the world than General C.Q. Brown. So my task is easy. Now, I always believe, and this is something for all of you who are thinking about your succession plan, the first 30 days of your successor's tour that success is actually your responsibility as the outgoing commander. After 30 days, it's on them. But that first 30 days, 
it's on you. What are you doing to prepare the organization for a smooth, successful transition? And what are you doing to make sure that, uh, that they can get excited about the new boss in your presence? And I used to say that, you know, you do command in quarters, right? Quarter or quadrants, if you will, right? And you get, you get four quadrants no matter how long you get, right? One year, two years, doesn't matter, yes, right? I had four years as chief. Uh, and the first quadrant is about establishing your vision. You don't actually have to come in on day one and have it all figured out. Remember our previous discussion, right? You got to grow. Sometimes it's really important for you to take, take in what your senior NCOs and others are telling you and incorporate that in your vision. You get a full quadrant to do that. Quadrant number two is about communicating that vision and putting the procedures, plans, the people in place, the environment required to establish, to, to achieve your vision. Quarter number three is, is execution. It is drive, 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 and make sure because you're gonna get most of your work done in quadrant three. And guess what quadrant four is? It's about, it's about preparing for your successor. And you sort of walk around the organization with two bottles on your hip. You got one that's got a fertilizer and one that's got a roundup. And you're squirting fertilizer on the seeds that you planted that actually took root and are doing pretty well. And you are flooding the bad ideas that you started that just could <laughs> rock with roundup to kill them. Because if they didn't succeed on your watch, guess what? Get rid of them before the, your successor has to kill them on his or her watch, right? And, and if you approach a command tour with those four quadrants in mind, I think you're gonna be very successful. And again, I'll leave it with just and never forget that leadership's a gift. It's a gift that's offered by those you're privileged to serve as a servant leader. And you gotta earn that gift every day that you're in command. That's excellent. So I really appreciate that. Um, I've never thought about it that way in, in quadrants before, but it, it does make a lot of sense. And as I think with my strategic planner, we talk about, hey, what do, we kind of naturally talk about, hey, what do we what do we want to get done this six months this year? And we've never put it like in in framework as firm as that. So that's excellent. That's what I'm taking away. Hey, I really appreciate your time, sir. We're gonna let you go. I know you got a busy schedule and, and thanks for joining the pod. And in talking to our gladiators, really excited about what your future and what you're doing, supporting the Air Force and continuing to be, you know, a public figure um, afterwards and, and being a great grandpa too. So I, I know that's really important to you. And um, thanks again for your time. And I'll leave you with any with any final words uh, to send us off. Just a shout out to all your all the families out there, you know, our, especially our spouses. They they exhibit a very special kind of courage when they endure long hours, deployments, separations, and sometimes what we don't talk enough about, which is a little bit of loneliness uh, that, that goes along with military service. So thanks to them for what they do and to all of our great reservists out there. Really proud to have served with you. Excellent, sir. Thank you very much. I appreciate it.